I remember my first visit to a Nicaraguan prison. I'd been to a jail here. Well, not in jail, but I've been to jail <laughs> here uh, several times, but <clears throat> and, and down to Morgan County a couple of times. Drastically different circumstances in Nicaraguan prisons as there are in prisons in America. And prisons in America are an cakewalk, don't get me wrong, but compared to Nicaraguan prisons, it's the Hyatt. I mean, it's, it's a Marriott somewhere. Um, and it, it was staggering the... Uh, I didn't see every cell to make sure they were all the same size, but the ones that I walked to to share with, uh, just a steel door window with bars in the door about a foot square, 10 inches by 10 inches square with bars. The only light coming in the cell was from the hallway outside the cell. I look in, we're we're giving some sandwiches and some things to eat and and, uh, sharing the gospel there at the prison. Look in the cell. I'm expecting to see a couple of guys. It's about a 10 by 10 room. There's about 30 guys in there. And so some sleep, some awake, some in between. I I walked away from that thinking uh, freedom here is is a cherished, uh, a uh, longed for thing when you're you're in that kind of captivity and, and those kind of circumstances. And it is here. I'm not, I don't want to belittle being incarcerated here. But when you get out of jail down there, you can breathe. You can, there's, there's drastic differences in your circumstances. That's what grace ought to do to us. As we experience the grace of God, it ought to, it ought to liberate us. It ought to, it ought to give us a sense of, let me shake off the bondage that this world wants me to walk in and, and, and the bondage it wants to keep me in, and it, both it and the enemy, and find a free place to walk and live and, and, and carry out my life and, and experience God's call on my life. Turn to Galatians, if you will. We're going to be in chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 5 of Galatians this morning, talking about liberating grace. That We looked in week 1 about how gratitude and grace walk together. The second week we talked about how immeasurable and immense the size and magnitude of God's grace is. We talked about grace's call on our life in week three. Then we looked at the grace being the great equalizer to the bondage that this world wants us to walk in. And last time we looked at sacrificial grace, laying ourselves down willingly, even asking, can, how can I help? How can I engage? How can I be a part? How can I pour grace into the situation of life? So today... I want us to see how grace frees us and liberates us. So uh, three things I want us to to glean from this text today. First in Galatians chapter 2, look with me at verses 20 to 21 together. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I did not set aside the grace of God for If righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Jesus was illustrating in his death a number of things to us, one of which was this, that by his grace we are able to die daily to ourselves. Apart from the grace of God, that's an impossible feat for men and women, but by the grace of God we're able to die to ourselves daily, die to our abilities, die to our wants and needs and live by faith. 
It is only by the grace of God that we can do that. It's, it's by that same grace that that physical death liberates us from the bondage of this body and the limitations of this body and the things we walk around with and, and have to deal with daily. Physical death is, is a liberating, is freeing in that regard as well. Frees us from the bondage of sin, the bondage that this, this flesh has on us, that humanity has on us. And as it's saying this, <clears throat> the, more di- the more we die, the more freedom we experience. That's what the cross is about. To not only give us this, this sense of physical death brings about physical freedom, but spiritual death day to day and mental death day to day and emotional death day to day liberates our mind, liberates our heart. And it is by the grace of God that we're able to do that. But he says when we can free ourselves of those kinds of things, those kind of circumstances that daily beset us, it is the grace of God that, that gives us, by dying to ourselves, the ability to do just that very thing. Look at, if you will, in Romans, or listen, if, in Romans chapter 6, the verses 3 and 4. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. We were buried with him to be raised with him. Buried in death to be raised to life. In essence saying, the more we die, the more we live. Try getting on the cross to this, this culture in the world that you and I walk around in that is so so self-centered, so so centered on <clears throat> on well, social media is a great example of that. Uh, a term that didn't exist as little as ten years ago was the term selfie. And selfie, I don't want to get into that sermon, but l- let me just let's just say that we're a self-centered culture and, and growing more and more and more in that direction with every passing generation. Uh, there is, there is selflessness is, is, a, is a freak thing in our culture. And when we can learn to live that way, Christ is seen more readily out of our lives. The more we, the more we hold on to the reins of our life, the more bondage we walk in. Because the, the more consumed with self we are to say, I've got control here, I'm pulling the reins there, I've got, I got, the, I got to manipulate the stick here. And, and the more we find ourselves under the bondage of the laws of cause and effect, we think many times as Christians that because we walk with Jesus, well, sin shouldn't, shouldn't have any result in our life, should it? It absolutely does. The, the sin is forgiven, but the consequences of sin, you, you and I have to deal with. My, my, I deal with the consequences of my own disobedience, and you do as well. My disobedience is forgiven by God, but the consequences are still there. They, they still remain for me to live with and deal with and, and work through. Uh, it, it is... It is uh, Sin is a besetting thing, the scripture says, because it besets us and sets us on a, on a place that, that if consumed by it and, and if, if we allow ourselves to walk in the guilt of it, eats our lunch day after day, month after month, and turns into decade after decade. We wonder, what happened to the joy? What happened to the guy I used to be? And I let walking in that keep me in bondage when Christ is designed for me to live and walk in freedom. He's designed for me to be free. So... The more we live by faith, the more we die to ourselves, the more freedom we experience. That's what he's saying here in verses 20, uh, 20 and 21 of chapter 2. Drop down into to chapter 3 with me and to look at the second thing, that the liberation and freedom comes not only in grace by way of death, but liberation and freedom comes in grace by way of a promise. Look at verses 17 and 18 of chapter 3. What I mean is this, 
the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For the inheritance depends on the for if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. And that promise in Genesis 12 says, I will bless you and make of you a great nation, he said. God said to Abraham, Isaiah 46, I've reminded you a number of times, says to the children of Israel and to us in our day and time, I have made you, I will sustain you. In essence, I will keep you. I will bless you, I will keep you, I will sustain you, I will hold you in that place. The promise of an inheritance, in essence, he's saying here, has nothing to do with our goodness and everything to do with the promise of God. The promise of an inheritance has nothing to do with your goodness, my goodness, your behavior, my behavior. It has everything to do with the promise of God. But, so does our behavior matter? Do the decisions we make matter? Absolutely they do. Uh, look at Romans chapter 6, verse 12. Listen to this with me. Uh, I'm sorry, verses 1 and 2, 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? He's saying grace ought to have a difference in our life. Sin should no longer beset us. It should no longer dominate us. It should no longer rule us and control our mind if we're walking in the promise of the grace of God. Uh, so decisions matter. Our behavior matters. The promise that we have an inheritance that can't be taken away, it ought to affect the way we live. It ought to affect our failures, our sin, our behavior. It shouldn't keep us there, but the promise of God, God's grace should deliver us from those places where we find ourselves in disobedience, in failure. Uh, it, it should free us from the bondage of having to make all the earthly puzzle pieces fit together. And we are a culture who makes who wants to make all the puzzles fit, fit together of just the right house in just the right neighborhood with just the right job with 2.5 kids. I'm still looking for that 0.5 kid myself. 2.5 kids with, with just the right job and just the right circumstances. With, with, with the, and, and we see ourselves pursuing those kinds of things in in essence, the things that we manipulate and can, and can control, thinking that's where the grace of God is found. In those things, as he blesses me with those things, I experience his grace. And he says, that's not how this works. Grace comes by way of a promise, not by way of your works, not by way of your, 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 your efforts, your means, your ability to, to manipulate your world and your life to where you're defining your own happiness. Your happiness comes from walking in the promise of the grace of God in your life. Your happiness and my happiness doesn't come with where we live, what we have, or anything we can put our hands on. It comes from realizing it is by the grace of God that I live where I live, that I walk to a closet who has clothes in it, I open a refrigerator who actually has food in it. It is by the grace of God that I have the relationships and the friends and the culture that I live in, and that I was born in the generation I was born into, that I live in a free country. All those things are by the grace of God. They are not at my, they're not at my hand. I think they are. <laughs> I think I have some control over those things from time to time, but really we don't. Because they can go like that. Let, 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 a, let, a, let a divorce come into your life. Let, let a cancer diagnosis come into your life. Let a job loss come into your life. And the things we, we think we've achieved or accomplished can be taken away in a moment. And God says, it is by the grace of God that you have and live and exist and have means to do what you have means to do. It is by my plan and my promise. Thirdly and finally, liberation and freedom comes by way 
uh, comes in grace by way of death. It comes in grace by way of a promise. But it also comes in grace by way of rightness. Rightness. Look at chapter 5, verses 1, 4, and 5 with me, if you will. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Verse 4. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. The righteousness for which we hope. This righteousness has been lost, he says here in this passage, not because we... we uh, have, have done something wrong because we have fallen away from grace. And he's not talking here about losing our salvation. Please don't confuse that. He's talking about falling away from grace and that's allowing grace to control your mind and your heart day, day to day to day to day. We have fallen out of the pattern of allowing grace to have its control. He says when we do that, we lose righteousness or rightness. We lose the perspective on what is right and what is wrong. Why? Because grace no longer rules the day. We, don't, we, don't, we no longer allow it to motivate to, 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 to separate our, our mind from what is, from what is not, from what is spiritual, from what is physical or carnal, from what is right, from what is wrong. It's the grace of God that gives, gives us the ability to discern those things. He's saying here, you're go- you've gone backwards in living a grace-filled life when you fall away from grace. And in going backwards, falling, falling from grace, you can't see rightness anymore. You can't see what is right and what is righteous in, 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 the, in, in what God has designed for you. So our righteousness here our rightness uh, depends on accepting and walking in the grace of God as opposed to doing all the right things. Well, that ought to be liberating for you. It ought, to be, it ought to be great liberation and freedom this morning if you understand seeing the right way doesn't depend on my ability, my smarts, my experience, my knowledge, even my understanding of the Scripture. It depends on the grace of God poured into my life. Seeing the right way in my world depends on the grace of God poured into my life and coming out of my life through me, to others around me. It's not about doing all the right things. Um, life isn't as black and white as I'd like it to be, is it you? Of course, in our culture, at least politically, there is a, there is a great divide. I think it's growing wider and wider and wider with each generation, actually almost with each week. <laughs> um, things are becoming more black and white than they used to be, but uh, grace takes an otherwise black and white world and adds color to it. It takes an otherwise world that, that is growing grayer by the moment and, and redefining and watering down truth by the moment and says, listen, it is by the grace of God that we have the ability to live and walk and, and, and come to know Christ in the first place, be able to share him and live him out in front of the others around us in the second place. It is not uh, what we've done or, have, or the way we see ourselves that, that brings those things about. And our salvation doesn't depend on those things. He says here, it's not of the law. You're, 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 if you're still trying to live in the law, you're futile. Meaning, get rid of the list. Throw the, throw the bondage of the list and the law away and learn to receive and walk in the grace of God. He's saying you, you'll see these things. You'll see rightness. You'll see righteousness as you learn to do those things. It brings, uh, as I said, color to an otherwise uh, black and white picture. Some of you who, who uh, order hamburgers plain, I love you, but I just don't understand you. I don't get you. Um, I like mayonnaise on about any sandwich you can put in front of me. The more mayonnaise, the better, actually. Lettuce, tomato, 
In fact, when I, when I order a sandwich somewhere, uh, if they ask, Do you, would you like yes, yes, just put it all on there. Just if, onion, tomato, lettuce, pickles, relish, whatever. Just put it. I'll, I'll take off what I don't want because I want the whole. I, I want the whole. I want the, the full. The, the full Monty. I want the full experience. I'm, I'm a firehouse, firehouse sub, fully involved guy. I want it fully involved. I don't understand people without mayonnaise. That's kind of. That's kind of what grace does to an otherwise plain, black and white picture of life. It says. Here's the color that God wants you to see through. Here's the lens of color that God wants you to see life through. It's grace that allows us to see those kinds of things, to see his way over here in this relationship, in this job, in this conversation. It's the grace of God that colors an otherwise black and white and really mundane world. He says, I want you to see rightness by way of grace. The more clearly you can see the picture, the easier it is to walk in the right way, in the righteous way. The more fuzzy and, 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 and uncontrolled and, and out of contrast the picture is, the harder it is to see those things. It's the grace of God that takes the picture and makes it clear and brings it into focus. He's saying here, it's the grace of God is the vehicle to righteousness, to rightness. As we can see that, our life is, is, or can be, have the potential to be drastically changed. Why? Because we're looking through a lens that's not defined by our culture, but that is defined by the Word of God lived out through the Spirit of God in our lives to say the grace of God from here, nurtured in here, comes out of here to those around me who need to see and understand Christ. That is an easy, easily understandable right way to walk. How do we get there? I have to pursue the grace of God and allow it to be poured into my life to, to liberate me and free me from the bondage of mundaneness, of, of, of grayness, of, out of, uh, of an out-of-focus walk in existence. He's saying grace is the vehicle of those things. It's grace uh, by way of death, grace by way of a promise, and grace by way of righteousness. So what is verse 1 saying here that we just read? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves, watch this, be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. What's he saying? It's time to throw away the lists and start walking in freedom. If you're one of these folks that, that are still in bondage to, to the list, what I mean by the list of is... If I do this and this and this, if I learn more songs, if I give more money, if I serve more, if I, if I get these six things in order, God's going to like me better. He's going to bless me more. Take this book, take the New Testament of this book and find that for me. You know what God does by grace? He liberates us from the list. Now, lists aren't evil. Some of your list makers, you've got to have lists to get anything done during the day. I get it. I'm, the older I get, the more lists I make to get this done too, or the more reminders I have to put in my phone. But if I, if I allow those things to rule my day and rule my life, thinking I'm accomplished if I've gotten the list accomplished, that's a lie straight from hell. The list, Getting the list accomplished is meaningless if my life hadn't counted for Christ that day in some way, in some form, in someone's life, yours and mine. If the list holds us in bondage, he's saying in verse 1, lay it down, let it go. Now, I don't think he's saying here in, in this verse, go out and quit your job tomorrow. And just totally destructure your life. I don't think he's saying that at all. I think he's saying let grace rule those things. Let grace have ownership on your list, in your list. Let grace have ownership in your job. Let grace have ownership in the things that motivate you and challenge you and stir you to living a godly life in a godly way. Uh, it's, it's, it's saying these things should no longer define you. Grace should define you, not your vocation. Grace should define you, not your marriage. It should define who you are, 
not what you do defining those things. Abraham Lincoln, <clears throat> this is a rather obscure story, so if this is the first time you've heard it, good. Abraham Lincoln was known to have, during the, especially during the Civil War when it was at its height, get his harmonica out, <clears throat> go to an empty room in the White House, and play harmonica for about an hour or two at night. As the President of the United States, I don't know how well he played. I mean, he, he may have been terrible. But as a release for him, he got a harmonica to relieve the stress of trying to hold a nation together that was clearly divided and, and, and growing, growing more so. It is, I, I think that's a picture of the grace of God saying, I want, I want, I want you to find release in me. I want you to find freedom in me, whether that's with a harmonica in a room by yourself at the end of the day, whether that's, you know, with earbuds in your, in your ears listening to worship music, whether that's in a quiet place, whether that's as we were this past week, looking out on a basically empty beach and seeing the grandeur of God, whether that's whatever that looks like for you, get to those places, he's saying, I think, to allow the grace of God to be poured into your life again and again and again. Find yourself pursuing those places, those scenes, those 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 instances, those circumstances where you can find it, kind of get to get to a place of, and then again, where that becomes the norm instead of, and then finding those things in in, in the cracks, but we, but pursuing those things as a part of our day, and not letting our day be driven by something else. We're not defined in earthly terms. So divorce doesn't define you. Cancer doesn't define you. A job loss, a career change doesn't define you. Not, no health issue defines you. An addiction doesn't define you. Your career doesn't define you. Even your family doesn't define you. He's saying in these verses, let the grace of God define who you are. Let it bring definition to your life. Let, it, let people see the liberating work of grace done at salvation but carried out day after day after day in your life and in your world. Let the grace of God define you that way. Consequently, we are who he says we are, not sometimes who we think we are or how we feel we are or what circumstances have said to us about who we are. But we are who he says we are. So a question as we wrap up here, and that's this. What adjustments do I need to allow grace to make in my life in order to move beyond the bondage of you fill in the blank. What 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 adjustments do I need to make in my in my schedule, in my day, in my world, to allow grace to be poured into the bondage that now holds me from my past, the bondage of my job, the bondage of my, my inadequacy, the bondage of my failures, the bondage of me. <laughs> my own worst enemy is me, and usually yours is you. What needs to adjust in my life to allow grace to permeate those things and, and relieve me from living in the bondage of, of those areas. Uh, what I want to leave you with today is whatever you came this way in bondage to, you can leave here today at your choice. You can walk away with the bondage you walked in with, or you can leave it here to say, God, with your help, tomorrow is going to be different than today. And with your help, Tuesday is going to be different than Monday. And with your help and your grace, Wednesday is going to be different from Tuesday and Thursday from Wednesday. As we see ourselves walking in the truth of the grace of God, we can lay down a situation at a time and a day at a time, the bondage that whatever it is that's been defining us has defined us. We can do that 
but it takes a willing heart to say, I want the grace of God to define me, not this, not him, not her, not that. I want the grace of God to permeate my conversation, to permeate my mind, my relationships, my work. I want it to be seen out of every crack in my life. That has to start somewhere, and I encourage you to let this place and this morning be the place where, where that starts in your life. If it does, I'm going to tell you God will do something miraculous in that through you every time, every day. Let's pray.